Welcome to Sport Management Review Insights. I'm your host, Vito Sobral. Today, we're going to discuss qualitative research methods. But before you press that pause button, just hear me out. This stuff is actually really important. And not just for the researchers or the academics, for sport organizations too. Just give us a chance. Sport organizations, you need to know how research is conducted to see how it relates to your situation. Okay, have I still got you? Good, because we have a great guest to discuss this. She has a deep understanding of different qualitative methods, is Associate Dean of Graduate Studies and Research at a university, and was the star of the episode on female sport fans. She's professor at University of Regina. It's Lorena Haber. Welcome, Lorena. Hello. Great to see you again. Nice to see you too. You did such a great job on the uh, female sport fans that, that we brought you back for, for qualitative uh, research methods. And Lorena and co-author Sally Shaw recently published Contemporary Qualitative Research Methods in Sport Management. I'm going to have to tell you, I'm a qualitative person, so you're kind of speaking to the converted with me. But in my brief time working in a, in a sport organization, I don't think many people considered qualitative research as really being useful can you tell us why it's, it's actually useful in the academic world and for, for practitioners? Well, it's useful um, because it gives sometimes an alternative perspective to what we might get from things like surveys and questionnaires. And what I mean by alternative is that sometimes it allows you to understand in more depth uh, at a deeper level, uh, the experiences, the thoughts, the feelings that individuals might actually have. So you actually get to spend more time with some people to really understand, uh, you know, how they view the world, how they experience sport and some of those things. So I think it's it's both important in terms of an academic setting because we need to understand those unique experiences. But from a practical setting, again, um, when we're just looking at surface level, very descriptive, um, not spending a lot of time with individuals, we can make some perhaps unfair or too quick decisions um, when we don't really understand or really know the people that we're dealing with. I guess I've heard uh, or, or read before, I think from Goober and Lincoln, of course, you know, the Bible, quantitative, uh, you know, statistical kind of analysis can give you the what, when, where, but qualitative is going to give you the how and the why. Yeah, I, I would uh, completely agree with that, that it's, um, it, again, it goes into so much more, more detail and more depth. And I think those are the, I don't want to say more important questions, because it is also important to understand some of those other questions. But the how and the why really helps us to, again, really see things from other people's perspectives um, because it's so easy to think that other people are like us uh, in many different ways and when you spend time with people whether it's in you know an interview or focus group or observations you perhaps might realize that they are very different than yourself and can broaden your understanding of how again human behavior again how people interact how they socialize and so for practitioners in the end it's going to help you make better decisions yeah, it should actually, because um, quite often with qualitative, I think what you're also getting is a more authentic view of individuals, um, because again, you're spent, you tend to spend more time with them. They perhaps let their guard down. Um, they're not, again, they might be more honest. They might be, I'm not saying that they always are, but they might be more honest and more revealing with you. So yeah, you will have more accurate data to actually make decisions. It, it will be a smaller number, but it'll be more accurate. Now, I've been around a few academics in, in recent years, and I don't think I've ever heard 
one say, I really want to write a paper on methods. So can you tell us why you thought it was important to write this paper on, on qualitative methods? Well, partly because I'm a methods nerd. I do love methods, um, so that is important. Um, I think it's also important because in our field, we aren't doing enough with qualitative research methods. Uh, I think we need to elevate it. Um, I think we need to become more sophisticated. We need to make sure people are more aware of contemporary qualitative methods and approaches that they perhaps are not getting in their academic um, education. Um, they're not maybe spending the time, like as you said, you know, people don't want to write this. A lot of people don't want to read the methods paper. And unfortunately, I'm, I'm not helping myself with my case, but we're hoping really to push this and increase the awareness and, and the quality of what we do in terms of qualitative. So I guess the go-to qualitative research method is interviews, semi-structured interviews, which I think you write it in the paper. But yes. you talk there about contemporary qualitative methods. What, what kind of other approaches are there and how are they useful? There's, a, there's such a range that I, in some cases I can't even keep up anymore with what we do, but it can include anything from even more contemporary types of interviews, like interviews that involve the use of photographs as a way to trigger and, and for conversation. Uh, it could be things like having multiple interviews as opposed to one. So again, having more time. Uh, but there's also classic ones that perhaps we've lost sight of, again, doing things like observations. Uh, but then we can move into other types of qualitative methods and approaches uh, like the use of Indigenous research methods, uh, narrative inquiry, where we're really focused on collection of stories. We can do things that are more about focused on social media and looking at text, like social media text, and how that reveals things about uh, people and individuals. Um, those are just some ones that come to mind quickly for me. <laughs> Can I mention one that I've actually tried to, to implement uh, participatory action research? Oh, uh, fantastic. <laughs> well, <Hold> yes, <laughs> but it was very difficult. It was difficult to plan. It was difficult to get your head around, uh, although I, I really enjoyed the idea of it. And I, I just wonder what you say to someone who's like, yeah, that'd be really cool and I'd love to do that, but it is hard and it, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of work. What, what do you say to, to someone who's going to give you that criticism? You do really have to understand what you're what you're getting yourself into. So something like participatory action research again can be the outcomes can be amazing for both the community, the individuals, the participants, and the researcher. But as you said, it is hard. It is very time consuming. There's a lot of focus on relationship building, a lot of working with participants to have them actually involved in the research, which again can be very exciting, but it's also very frustrating. So that's something I wouldn't necessarily recommend to a graduate student. Um, when you have to get in and get out in a timely manner, again, the outcomes can be wonderful, but you need to do that at the right time. Uh, so that might be someone maybe doing it on their sabbatical as a faculty member, maybe people that does maybe has more of a team that can support that. So again, with some of these things, I think it's, I don't want people to be scared of them, but I think that they do need to know what they're walking into to understand, do I have the time? Do I have the capacity? Am I ready for this? Do I have the support system that can help me through this? Because you're right, interviews is the perhaps the easiest, the most straightforward, but some of the ones offer so much more and we just need to really think about when, when and how we're going to use them. And how important is that question? When, when you're looking at, you know, I'm a qualitative person, I want, I want to use a qualitative method here. 
how do you make that uh, selection considering the constraints you have and, and what you're trying to get out of your research? Well, if you're a grad student, I would say talk to your supervisor. And, but, but do like bring that up and maybe, you know, other committee members, maybe other people who've used them before. Like if someone else has used participatory action research or indigenous research methods, ask someone else that's done it and what were some of the challenges. So again, you're going in with your eyes wide open as opposed to perhaps a bit naive about some of the, some of the challenges or the hiccups that might happen with this. Um, so I think that is an important part. I think another part, again, if you're further along as a faculty member, again, maybe do some reading, really think about, can I do this right now? Is this something, or am I, am I willing to take that chance or that risk right now, even if it doesn't work out, but I'm still going to try it and see if it works. Um, someone who's on a tenure clock, perhaps maybe that's not the best decision to do, um, but maybe someone who is tenured, why not? Why not try it? Um, if you fail, it's not going to have the same consequences as someone who uh, is under a time crunch. So dust off the old qualitative handbook of qualitative research handbook and, and go through that and, and see what's there for you. Well, I, I'm, I'm actually going to say, don't even dust off, go to the new stuff. So don't go to some of the stuff that is the older stuff uh, because things have changed so much in 15 to 20 years. Like again, things like, uh, so use of social media, netnographies, the indigenous methods, the narrative inquiry, participant action research, uh, the use of arts-based research. Uh, there's so much new stuff that's out there. So look for the new stuff. Yeah, don't go to the old stuff that's been 30 years old. And why do you think that's happened in the last 15 to 20 years? Why have we seen this different approaches to, to qualitative uh, research? Um, I think to some degree, it is a... While there's a way to go for more acceptance of qualitative research methods, those that do it, I think, are open and they appreciate and they're excited about the, the range of things, the, 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 the creativity uh, that is open and qualitative that perhaps is a little bit more closed and quantitative, where things are so much more structured uh, and tend to be, yeah, I'll just say just much more structured. I think in qualitative, we realize that we can explore research in many different ways. Again, they're not all perfect. None of them are perfect, but I think that there is uh, perhaps a willingness to try and to be open to different perspectives. Again, something like Indigenous research methods, it's that awareness that my viewpoint as a non-Indigenous person might be very different um, if I employ Indigenous research methods and involve that. So it's really thinking and thinking differently about how we do research. I'm just bearing in mind, we might lose the sport practitioners any second now. So uh, how can we, how can uh, they be helped by, by taking these different approaches to research? Well, I would say some of the, some of the ones I just talked about um, for practitioners, you're probably not going to employ, um, uh, employ for your own, but I think there are different ways of doing things, even focus groups, even doing observations of individuals, some of the more simplistic ones still allow you to open up and, and see what's going on. Doing analysis of social media, all sport organizations have social media, whether it's photographs or tweets or videos, use that data. That data is a gold mine. And I think we're not doing enough with that. Yeah, it's looking at some of these things that can be super important, aren't actually don't have to be that complex in terms of analysis, but I think we're overlooking a lot of data, rich data that exists in organizations by not looking at some of these other or using some of these other techniques.
and you don't just mean using that data numbers wise, like, oh, we've got no, all these no. hits. And- no, I'm like, you know, looking at tweets and actually reading all of them and kind of looking for what are some of the, uh, it's a simplistic way of doing theming, but what are some of the common concepts or ideas that are coming up from that? And you can do that both as an individual, but there's also software. I, you know, I hate to sort of, sort of go in that way of software because it goes away from the hu- more human element, but there is software that exists that you can use to look at some data that exists out there that's perhaps more qualitative, text-based, visual-based, video-based that can help with making some decisions too. Is it useful for sport practitioners to understand these different methods like the Indigenous perspective, participatory acts and research, uh, all these different areas that can help them as well, even if they might not be doing it? Yeah, I agree. I think that actually is a, it's a good point that, you know, perhaps, you know, a, a, maybe an organization does want to understand or get more uh, let's say fans who are indigenous, perhaps maybe you do have to employ some types of, again, at a very simplistic level, indigenous methods, like having a ceremony, inviting people in, having a ceremony, uh, having elders be part of something uh, to really, again, get that authentic viewpoint from some of the people that you are uh, interested in. So it doesn't have to go to the same depth as an academic, but employing some of these things or doing things like participatory action research, which you're right, is hard, But at a simple level, it's that idea of just working with people, working with your clients, your members to solve problems that are important to them, not just what's important to you. So again, we can simplify some of these things probably for practitioners that will allow them to, again, perhaps make more more informed decisions or uh, develop better programs or do, do things that probably are maybe more important to the people that they're serving. And what do you say to researchers who might think that, Qualitative research, too hard to get published. I don't think it is, actually. Oh, I know this, it's such a tough question because I have been able to get published. So maybe that's my uh, my bias is that because I've been able to, I think it is possible. But I think you have to be uh, strong in your conviction. You have to be very clear in your writing. Um, it is publishable, but it also has to be high quality. And maybe that's part of the problem is that some... Uh, qualitative research uh, maybe is is still too simplistic and we need to be more sophisticated. Um, Again, if you know what you're doing and you're answering your research questions, it should still be able to get published. We have more reviewers that understand qualitative. So that helps with that process. I'll also say too that maybe part of the issue is that if you're self-selecting yourself out of not putting a publication in, you're not helping the situation you know, see, see, see what your reviews are like. So be part of the, the solution rather than saying it's not going to happen and then it won't happen. Another question that often comes up and even from sport practitioners, they'll go, how can I trust this? Is this credible? Because, you know, I don't have the numbers. I don't have that hard evidence with it. Well, again, if you follow certain techniques, it, it will be as trustworthy as the numbers. And I, my side critique is that the numbers don't all, aren't always trustworthy either. I think we're too quick to assume that if you give me numbers, that's real or that's the truth. So that's sort of my side criticism. Qualitative obviously is, is more, can be more subjective. I, I'm not, I'm not going to deny that. But at the same time, I think it's more authentic in the sense that you're actually hearing the real words of people or you're seeing the real images that people want to share for you, not something that's distilled down to a number. So I think there's a truth in that. And I don't think we need to be scared by smaller numbers of people because you're not going to have the same, like you're not going to have 10,000 questionnaires. You might have, 
10 interviews, but if those interviews are done well, they're done with some depth, they're done with you know, some, uh, some clarity about how you're actually gonna do them. Um, and those individuals are purposefully uh, recruited because that's the, the opinions or the viewpoints you want to, to hear from, you should be able to trust us as much as a, a questionnaire. Lastly, what is your advice to both researchers and practitioners when it comes to qualitative research or qualitative methods? Well, part, well, I think it's twofold. One of them, don't be scared of them. I, again, I think sometimes it, they're just fascinating. It's fascinating to look at people's words and images and, and text, but do spend some time understanding really how to analyze the data. Again, from a practitioner perspective, I'm going to say use the more simplistic types of methods where you would read through and you would look for, again, common things that come out. As an academic, uh, do a little bit more work to kind of see how to be uh, to go a bit deeper with your analysis. Again, it's not hard, um, but I just I, I will just say the advice is it takes time. Do not rush it. Like you you can't rush qualitative. When you rush qualitative, I think you do a superficial job of looking at the important findings. So you need to give yourself some time. I think you, that is an, a very critical um, a point. One of the other challenges with qualitative doing the analysis is it's not always the um, the obvious that is the important kind of data that you can see these like certain words that come up, but it's the idea about this is why you have to spend some time with it because you really do have to think about what do some of these things mean. And so again, from an academic perspective, yeah, you really do have to spend time with your data, reading it, reading it over, maybe talking with someone else, kind of see, do you see something else in here or do you interpret this in a different way? Because you are, you are the, uh, the individual he, who is doing the analysis. It's not a computer system. Um, it's yourself. So that's such an important part of really sp spending and taking your time to really consider different possibilities about what the data is implying to you. And lots of revisions as well. <laughs> it can be, yes. <laughs> Depends who your supervisor is. No, um, <laughs> she's great. That's that's very important advice, I think, and really useful to both researchers and practitioners. I'm sure it's going to be uh, your research is great help for both sport organizations and academics. From my perspective, having worked at a sport organization, I think that would have been really useful and being more inclusive and understanding their market in their promotions. Well, I hope that's really helpful. And again, I think the uh, the more that people understand qualitative coming out from universities, they can bring it back into organizations. So hopefully we'll see more of that being done in practice as well. Thanks so much. Thank you. And thanks for listening to Sport Management Review Insights. Please head to the Sport Management Review website to check out all the latest research being published, including the article discussed in this episode, Contemporary Qualitative Research Methods in Sport Management from Volume 20, Issue 1. That's it for this episode, but keep a lookout. There'll be more dropping in your favorite podcast player soon. Until then, it's bye for now.